The scripture on which our sermon is based this morning comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. You can find in the opening pages of your pew Bible if you want to refer along. The word says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man in his image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, my name is Brian Sorgan Fry, and I'm one of the associate pastors here. Really glad you're here, especially if you're out of town and visiting. Uh, We're just glad you chose to be with us. Uh, I want to tell you about a story I read uh, not too long ago about a family who was moving, and like uh, what happens so often if you move, it's time to purge some things. And they were going to just give things off to auction. And there were these, for lack of a better term, garden ornaments that had sat outside in the elements forever. One of them's even, its head had fallen off and they reattached it with cement and they wanted to get rid of it. And as those things went to the auction block with everything else, uh, the auction went crazy. And up and up went the price because these things in the garden were actually bona fide Egyptian artifacts that ended up selling for $256,000. So I love thinking about that because what that means is if you had been to their house a week before that and had walked into their front door, out in the garden, I don't know, maybe with like pink flamingos and other things, was just this, these ornaments undergoing the elements. Nobody cared about them, and yet they had immense value. And as we are looking through Genesis, we're saying that this is about origins. This is showing the foundations of what we believe. And we're picking one word. And the word we've picked is dignity. Because what Les read for us is the creation of humanity. And it's the, the, the word is the image of God. And what comes with being made in the image of God is a dignity and a value that's almost incalculable. However... What we usually do is we look at ourselves or the person next to us and it's just, huh. And it's almost like it's a garden ornament. And so I want Genesis to begin to recalculate how we see ourselves and each other. We're going to look at it in three ways. First, the image of God means dignity. Second of all, that the image of God means dominion. And then lastly, the image of God means delight. And I said this the first service because I know what it's like sitting out there. The first point 
takes up about 70% of the sermon. So don't panic when I get through the end of the first service. You're still going to be out on time. All right, first, verse 26 and 27. This is dignity. This is the sixth day of creation according to Genesis 1. And verse 26 is written in a way to call our attention that something special is about to happen. Because over and over it keeps saying, God said, God said each day of creation. And then you have this divine deliberation as the text slows down as if God has this special thought. And he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so the text is saying, get ready. God is actually about to do something special, something unique. The God of the universe is going to form something into his image in his own likeness. And verse 27 sums it up by saying, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Look, maybe you grew up with the language, the image of God, Imago Dei. Maybe you didn't. But what does it mean that we are all, male and female, created in the image of God? That word image actually finds its root in the Hebrew word for shadow. Think about a shadow, right? A shadow, in a sense, represents your figure. And so in in that context, in the ancient Near Eastern context, that word for image ended up being a three-dimensional representation of something. And so Genesis 1 is saying that you, humans, are God's three-dimensional representation of himself on earth. Now, something or someone being the representation of God on earth, that actually wouldn't have been foreign in the ancient Near Eastern context. Because in that world, in that culture, there was a person that was known as the image of God. It just was a king or a pharaoh or an emperor. That was the one person that was thought represents God's authority and power on earth. And then what he would have is all these statues and figures scattered throughout his kingdom, reminding them of who was in charge. That can, kind of still goes in today. I've heard if you go to North Korea, you will find all these images, murals of, of the supreme leader to remind you who is in charge. But think about this. If in that context, when you thought the Pharaoh or the king was the one image of God, how was that person treated? With, with respect, with esteem, with dignity. And the first recipients of this of scripture, right, were the people that had been enslaved by Egypt for 400 years, enslaved by Pharaoh, one who claimed to be the image of God. They get brought out. And one of the first things that God tells them is actually... All of you are made in the image of God. Every single one of you is made in the likeness of God and made to represent him. Same dignity, same value as that Pharaoh. And so what you begin to realize is that God's original design for the world is that everyone is equal in dignity. No one's to be pushed to the margins. And it's just not how our world works, right? Instead, because of the fall, We deem people's value or dignity based on beauty or usefulness or something like that. And so what tends to happen in our cultures is people deemed unuseful get pushed to the margins. Whether that's the elderly, whether that's the sick, whether that's the poor, whether that's children, whether it's the socially awkward, whatever it is, we deem something else to characterize their dignity. I literally heard this story yesterday and inserted it in from a friend who was talking about a pastor friend of his who had showed up on a very early wintry morning in a northeastern city. It was cold. He showed up for this Bible study to open the church. And there he saw one of the homeless people that he had gotten to know. His name was Dean. And he invited Dean in. He said, why don't you come in and, and warm up and let's drink some coffee together. And as they were talking, 
Dean just starts kind of telling him some, some more of his story. And he ends up saying, you know, I'm in my 50s and I'm just embarrassed. I'm embarrassed at how my life has turned out, what my life looks like in its 50s. And this pastor stopped him and said, hey, I want you to think about something. The way that you've just articulated your story so that I can, I can see how you feel and, and kind of capture that, that's extremely insightful. And the way that you've been holding the coffee and bringing it to your lips and sipping the top of the coffee without it burning your mouth, he said, you do realize all that displays that you've been fearfully and wonderfully made by God, that you're made in God's image, that you're an image bearer. He said, Dean at that moment actually began to cry. And he said, nobody's ever told me this. This is a game changer. And it is. I, I actually want us to feel the weight of the claim of Scripture, that it's a game changer, that everyone is God's chosen image bearers, reflecting God's dignity. So just think about a list of a few people that you will interact with that absolutely are made in God's image, that absolutely has, uh, has dignity. That person that cut you off yesterday in traffic, that obnoxious fan, made in God's image, right? Every person that lives in a cardboard box or under a bridge, made in God's image. Every infant in the womb, every transgender person, every person on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, made in God's image. Every kid at school and teacher, the elderly person in the nursing home, every person in prison, the policeman, you could go on and on. Yes, sin has defaced our image and it's distorted it, but everyone still bears the image of God and therefore worthy of immense dignity, respect, and kindness. And I just, I want to say that I think that should have profound implications for how we see ourselves and how we treat one another. Because think about it, how you treat an image actually says something about your treatment and respect of that which the image uh, is, is, is representing, right? An easy example would be, uh, let's take the American flag, right? The American flag is representing something behind it, a nation. So if someone burns an American flag, what are they saying? They're not saying, I hate how this flag looks. They are saying they're against that which the flag represents, correct? And the reverse is true. If you stand and salute, you're saying, I respect which, what the flag represents. Okay, if people are made in the image of God, then how we treat God's image tells us something about our attitudes towards that which it represents, God himself. So that even has to do with you and the way that you look and think about yourself. Because some of us, when we look in the mirror, here's what we think. I'm trash. And we feel like we're trash because of the way we feel because of the circumstances going on in life, or maybe even the way that somebody's treated you and has horribly sinned against you. And, and being made in the image of God is saying God does not make trash. He doesn't. He fashioned you in his image. There's inherent dignity in you. Well, what about the way we treat others, right? If the way that I treat an image says something about my respect or lack thereof of what the image represents, and everybody's fashioned in the image of God, then actually how I treat humans has something to do with my opinion of God. And this is where it gets really convicting. And this is what James picked up, and we said this in our confession, right? In the New Testament book, James 3, he talks about how our tongue can be a poison. And he says, with our tongues, we bless the Lord as our Father, 
But then we turn around and we curse people made in his likeness, in his image. He says that ought not to be. James is saying if with our tongues we profess a love for God, it is utterly hypocritical to then turn around and slander and demean that which is made in his image. And so this is what's being said, that if we treat anyone like they don't matter, if we demean the image of God in any way, whether that's through name-calling, slander, through looks that we can give, through actions, for those who claim to be a follower of God, of Christ, he said that should not be a part of our life because that's his image. And so kids, here's what that means. At school tomorrow, all right, you want to just... Here's application for you. When you look at that person walking down the hall, even that person that ignores you, what should go through your head is, hello, your majesty. Maybe you should even say it. That'd be weird. But that, that's what it's looking like. Or when that person cuts you off in traffic tomorrow, what we should actually think is, well, of course, your highness. This should be for you. That's the kind of dignity that Genesis is talking about. That every person that you interact with whether it's at the grocery or work, is filled with dignity and worthy of your kindness and respect and reverence because of the image of God. So first, God creates man, male and female in his image, which means dignity. But second of all, it means dominion, right? Verse 26, 28, it's interesting. Anytime the uniqueness of mankind and man being made in God's image starts being talked about, at least in my circles, what we tend to talk about is human's ability to reason or self-reflect or some kind of moral fabric or emotions. And all that's probably mixed in there. What's interesting though is in Genesis 1, the primary thing that it points to about humans being in their image, in God's image, is your purpose. And that purpose is wrapped up in dominion, right? Twice God says this, verse 26, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over all creation. And then he says it again in verse 28. What does it mean to have dominion over the earth? How does that image or reflect what God is like? Less hit on this last week. If you read through Genesis 1, what is God like? What is he doing? He's always taking things that are chaotic or empty or void. And he's filling those things with order and life and beauty because he has dominion. So he creates, he develops, he brings life. And he looks at us and says, you're my image, you do the same. Here's what I don't think I even grasped until, I don't know, the last decade. It's that when God creates in Genesis 1 and 2, the heavens and the earth, we'll actually see this next week when Les zooms in on the Garden of Eden. When God, when God creates the world, it's actually not perfect. Now, it's without flaw, it's good. But if by perfect we, need, we mean complete, it's actually not true. The Garden of Eden is actually very small. And God's intention is that man would populate the earth, be his image, and go out to the ends of the earth and have dominion and develop this whole world into being a place of beauty and life. God wants his image to partner with him in what he does, which is dominion and life and beauty. I mean, what dignity that the Lord of this universe shares his work with you. I don't know if you've ever experienced when someone who really is skilled at their craft invites you in to learn from them. My family loves to watch all the kind of cooking shows and one of our favorites is Worst Cooks in America. 
You don't have to have seen this to know what's going on, right? It's like a reality TV show. They take, let's say, 15 cooks that have no idea how to cook. But the judges, right, are some of the master chefs of the world. And as, as the show goes on, right, they begin cooking these meals and they taste terrible. But these chefs start taking them along and teaching them about spices and portions and what goes together. And by the end, it really is cool. You know, there's only one or two people left. They've actually developed a skill because these chefs invited them into the joy of cooking and they learned it so that now they can go back to their homes and bless others with it. And you realize it's just incredible dignity as these chefs invited them into the thing that they love. That's what God's doing. He's the creator. He's the one who brings order and life to places that were empty and void. And he says, now you're my image. Partner with me in what I do. And if you think about it, as my my friend Ricky points this out, anytime you experience in this world some sense of human flourishing, some sense of what makes this world kind of a great place, because there's order and beauty, you realize it's because the image of God has been there, right? Like, I'm looking out at this crowd, it's very interesting, and everybody looks beautiful, everybody looks put together. Do you know why? It's because the image of God's been there, because you did not roll out of bed this morning looking like that. Actually, if you roll out of the bed this morning, you look at yourself in the mirror, you're like, yikes, there's hair everywhere, right? There's, there's smells, and yet... <laughs> The order of God, the the image of God goes to work and now you're beautiful and orderly. That's what the image of God does. This this device that we all depend on called the iPhone, uh, Melvin pointed this out. Do you know how many elements on the periodic table are in the iPhone? It's 75, 75. Which means what humanity has done is cultivated these elements out of the earth and fashioned them and fused them with other things to produce an iPhone that enables his world to flourish and communicate and be with others and all those kind of things. Order has been brought out of chaos and it's a blessing to the world. And here's what I mean by how that's connected to to your dignity. What you start realizing is that anything that you do that shares in what God is doing has immense dignity. Unfortunately, we attach dignity with how much money it will make. Not true. The dignity is wrapped up in the fact that it images God. So whether you're working a math problem, whether you're taking out the trash, whether you're executing justice as a lawyer, uh, whether you're, you know, making better tires, uh, you know, cleaning waste material, whatever you're doing that's making this place more orderly and more and more of a blessing to each other, that is the thumbprint of God's dominion that is happening through you. It has immense dignity. And so part of keeping the reality of your dignity in front of you And in front of others is seeing that you're playing a small part in God's dominion of the world. That's how this world is holding together. So the image of God, it means dignity. Second of all, it actually means dominion that reflects what God's like. And then thirdly, it means delight. Right, over and over again, this is is, uh, chapter two. Throughout the story of creation, God keeps saying it is good, it was good, it was good. And then verse 31, after creates his image, right, male and female, For the first time, God looks and says, it was very good. It's as if he creates, uh, you know, his image and finally stops and just takes great delight in it and is satisfied. And after he finishes that work of creation, day seven comes and it says he rests. 
Which means the, what God does after he creates man is he spends a whole day just delighting in what he has made, satisfied in his image. And if you connect that to the Ten Commandments, which will come about in Exodus, right? If we're made to image what God is like, then it should not shock us that one of the commands is that we're to work for six days and to rest on the seventh, because that's what God is like. Which means, think about this, Adam and Eve, they're created on the sixth day, they're imaging God, their full, first full day of existence in this world, day seven, do you know how it was spent? It was spent resting. It was spent receiving the delight of God, enjoying all of God's creation, and giving back to him the delight and worship that he deserves. They weren't working, they were resting. And their first full day on earth, enjoying the delight of God. That's their original vision of humanity. That God creates man with this astonishing dignity to reflect what he is like, to be his image bearer on earth, and then to partner with him and having dominion over the earth and then to be a person that receives the delight of God and gives it back to him. That's the design and purpose of whoever you are sitting out there. And I think, I think at least when you hear that description, you long for that. There's something about that that, that we wish was true. And it is but we know it's what we don't have, right? Instead of, instead of us always partnering with God and imaging what he's life to develop and create a world that is a blessing to others, right? We bring destruction and chaos. So that same iPhone, right? That's developed to enhance flourishing communication and does great things, that same thing, what do we do? We use it to exploit people. We use it to bully people. We use it to deface the image of God in pornography and dehumanize. Or like James said, with the same mouth that we praise God, we turn around and we, and we slander and, and put down his image. And it creates this tension of, okay, the world has been defaced. God's image has been defaced by my own sin and the, and, and the sin that's been done to us. Where is the hope? How in the world can we be changed to start seeing each other as the image of God? Because what would it be like if Christ prays just itself? was a community that began to see everyone as bearing the image of God. It actually would bring about a change. How can we ever be delighted in by God, though I look at myself and so much of this world and say, this isn't worthy of God's delight? Well, it's where you keep following the story of the Bible. Because if, if we think that God making us his image and asking us to partner with him in dominion is incredibly high, it has an incredible high view and purpose, you're right. But there is a sense the Bible is saying you haven't seen anything yet. Because man has such dignity that 2,000 years ago, God the Son is going to take on human flesh. He's going to become a human. So much so that Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Think about that. That he is exactly what humanity is supposed to be. He's the exact representation of God, and he's God himself. So God bestows the ultimate stamp of dignity on humanity by binding himself to humans forever in what we call the incarnation. Not just by creating us, but becoming like us and being born of the Virgin Mary. So there's a somewhat famous story uh, about two Christians uh, back in the mid-1700s 
where uh, they were living in Germany. They're part of this Moravian uh, Brethren Church. And due to conviction and other things, they, um, they wanted to go love and care for and minister to, um, to, some a- to the African slaves in the Philippines. And so as they went to try to board ships and get there, they were actually forbidden to go by the industry, right? They, did, they didn't want them causing a rebellion, up, up, uprising the system. So here was their proposal. What if we sold ourselves into slavery? What if we let you buy us and then we get sent to labor with and among so that we can be with the slaves and be near them and care for them and love them, right? Slavery, probably one of the greatest examples of the distortion of the image of God. We're never told to have dominion over other people. And yet it's really a part of history. And they said, we'll go in. And if that kind of takes your breath away, that proposal that they made, that you realize like that's a small glimmer into reality itself. Because what happens according to scriptures, God looks at this good world that he made and people in his image and we have defaced and exploited and, and ruined his world. We're anything but deserving of God's delight and resting in that. And it's as, it's as if the triune God says, you know what? The only way to get to them is to join them. And so he becomes human to labor along, song, alongside us, to be near us. And the holy eternal son of God becomes human. He's the perfect image of God. Which is why everywhere that you see him go, he's always bringing order out of chaos. He's always pushing back sickness. He's always bringing life where there's death. He's treating uh, treating everyone with perfect dignity because he is the exact image of God, what we're supposed to be like. But here's what's interesting. At the end of his life, Jesus gets rejected. He is shunned. He's mistreated and arrested and bullied, and he's the perfect image of God. And then towards the end of his life, he's arrested. He starts being tortured. And the prophet Isaiah, thinking about Jesus, uses animal language to describe Jesus as he says he's led like a a lamb before a slaughter. And then so mistreated and abused is the perfect image of God as he hangs on a cross. Do you know how Isaiah then describes him? He said his form was as such that we could not hardly look at him. The image of God in Jesus is so defaced that, that people had to hide their faces. He almost looks like a piece of meat. And he dies on a cross. Why? What is happening? God himself in the person of Jesus is switching places with you and me. He's taking the penalty for what we deserve, for all of our defacing each other, all of our spearing each other, all of our ruining the image of God, he takes the penalty for what we deserve so that you can get the delight of God, so that you can get the smile of God, so that by faith alone, in Christ alone, the delight and smile of God is yours. And that's it. Only in the person and work of the image of the invisible God will you find your true dignity that God became like you so that he could restore you, so that he could be near you. And that's supposed to create a a, a church, a people of God that become a place that see the image of God in everyone, not because they're useful, but because everyone has, has upon them stamped the image of the one who gave himself for me. 
That's Genesis 1. That's the dignity. It's holding out for us this reality that when you look at a human being, you're seeing the pinnacle of creation, God's image. And yes, we've fallen short. When you look at a human being, you see the astounding truth that God became a human to make a way by grace that you could receive the delight of God and be restored, to be at rest. Consider that an invitation. Let's pray. Father, it is, uh, it's astounding to grapple with the fact that you made people in your image. On the one hand, uh, it's heavy because we look around at the headlines. We can even look at our own hearts and see just how far we've fallen short of displaying what you're like. Instead of kindness and holiness and justice and goodness and love, so often we display slander and violence and arrogance and everything else. And so would you, by your spirit, turn our eyes, turn our hearts to be towards the image of the invisible God, Jesus, and bring us to rest in him and what he has done on our behalf so that we, Christ's prayers, can be changed, so the image of God can be restored in us and we become part of the healing project for the world. In Jesus' name, amen.